morning, everyone. Junior Church, you are dismissed to walk. Uh, while they're doing that, real quick, I need just the guys' attention, just the men. Um, this Wednesday is our men's group that's called Forged. And when we gather this week, we will be melting down some, I don't remember what kind of metal, and pouring it into um, molds where we're going to make our forged logo. We're not forging coins. We're not forging currency. Okay? Um, but we're just doing something fun and with a lot. It, it's just cool. So we want to invite you to come. The information's on the website. It's on the app. It's on the bulletin. It's everywhere. So uh, please check into that. So we're going to get right going into the sermon. I decided not to give you a joke because you didn't laugh at him anyway. Um, that was a good joke. They, wow. So um, <laughs> didn't expect that. So the section of Acts that we're going to look at is generally looked over. And in fact, when I first started getting into this and I mapped out the whole sermon plan for the year, I also skipped over this section. And then I was challenged to go back, and I did, and uh, it changed how I looked at things. People generally will reference this, they'll summarize it, or just skip it. And I have to admit, I have never heard a sermon on just these scriptures. So if you will, go ahead and turn. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1. Last week we started our study through the book of Acts. And we saw last week that Jesus gave his followers some final instructions. And the first part of that was to go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. So what happens when they return? We're going to start in verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went upstairs uh, to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who are present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thom um, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Now, when I start looking into this sermon, um, this scripture, we have to break it all down and look at what each part, what each section is saying. So while um, Jesus was here on earth, he personally selected 12 closely knit men that are called his disciples, the close friends, the closest followers. One of those 12 was Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and after that he committed suicide. When Jesus returned to heaven, there are only 11 disciples remaining. And I'm just going to say their names real quick because I want you to hear. There's Peter, James, or Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James. This is not the one who wrote the book of James. Okay, this is James, son of Alphaeus. This is to distinguish from the half-brother of Jesus who did write the book of James. Um, there's Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and it says that to let you know that that is not Judas the betrayer, the one Judas Iscariot. There's a few other things we need to notice here. It says they, they went back to Jerusalem and they did what? They met together in the upstairs room. See, the early believers had community. They, they had community with Jesus, and they com, um, continued that aspect. 
This means they met together. They joined into each other's lives. They shared with each other. They experienced life with each other. Coaches have said that if the sports teams don't practice together, they cannot do well in a game. They have to meet together so that they can perform well in the game. Schools are starting to see differences in students who are virtual students versus in-person students. Fitness gyms tried the whole virtual thing. They tried it, and many people signed up and did it, and you know what happened? People faded away from that because there's a difference in virtual versus in-person. There's something important about actually coming together, meeting together. Virtual interaction, whether it's for school, work, play, or even virtual church, hear me on this, has its benefits. Okay, it has its benefits. It can be good for a time. I have started taking vitamins to try and help boost my uh, physical, okay, I'm not physically fit. You all know that. I was trying to find a nice way to say I'm fat, and I can't. So I started taking some vitamins to start helping supplement my body so that I can start getting in better physical shape. But a vitamin is a supplement. What would happen if all I took, all I ate was ever vitamins? Vitamins are good, right? What would happen to my body if I ate nothing but vitamins? I would start wasting away because my body is meant more needs more than just supplements. It needs a full diet. And the same is true for our interactions, our fellowship with other people. Virtual interactions can be good for a time. But one thing they truly lack is fellowship, joining together. Which means we need to be meeting together. Whether it's on Sunday morning in person or in your small groups where you gather with other people of faith and help each other, we need community. We need to follow the example that the first believers did. That's not all the early believers did. They met and were constantly devoted to prayer, Scripture says. I'm going to slow down here a little bit. They were constantly devoted to prayer. And I think this says a lot for the direction of those early believers. The early believers did not meet to discuss what they thought they should do. They didn't come together and say, well, I think we should do this. I think we should plant a church here. I think they didn't do any of that. They met to pray and to hear what God said that they should do. What does that say about why we gather? Do we gather just to have a pat on our back for meeting together? Do we gather just to say, hey, we put in our time, check mark, I can make it into heaven? Or do we gather to meet with God in prayer? Our prayers should be a staple of our gathering. Once a month, I meet in person with various ministers in the area, and we get together for a time of worship, a time of prayer, fellowship, and Then we even have a a speaker who helps instruct us or enlighten us in certain things. And then, as all ministers want to do, we go out to eat. This last week, Tuesday, um, there was a great seminar, but Mike Hamm, the minister at Stroh Church of Christ, he got up during our prayer time, 
And he shared something that he had read in his latest uh, prayer devotion book that he was reading. And it changed him. It changed how he looked at prayer. It changed on how he was praying. It changed him so much so that he had to share it with us. And when he said it, the first thing I did is I texted right to my email so I wouldn't forget this. And it's really been playing on my mind here. I want you to not only hear it, but see it. It's going to be on the screen. Christians spend more of their time um, trying praying more. Oh, my goodness. Christians spend more of their prayer time trying to keep sick Christians out of heaven than praying to keep unbelievers out of hell. Oh, my goodness. And this is going to stay up here, and I want you to think about this statement as I say this. It is good, it is right to pray for health concerns. The Bible says that, the Bible declares it. Uh, Last week, the elders and I gathered around someone in the church to pray for a very major health concern of somebody. So hear me on this. It is right and it is good to pray for health concerns. The problem is, for most Christians, that's the majority of our prayers. It's not about people who are lost, who are going to hell. We pray more for physical comfort than we do for somebody's eternal destination. And when he said that, I had to stop and think about it. I don't think the early believers were praying in that upper room about sicknesses, about ingrown toes or um, about cancer or about um, diseases. They wanted to know, how do we take the message of Christ to a dark world that is going to hell? That's what they were praying about. And the proof of that is revealed in what happens in the rest of the book of Acts. So, really, this statement, if nothing else today, I really want you to take that. As I was reading this, another thing popped out at me. Who else was with the 11 disciples in the scriptures? It says, Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and Jesus' brothers. This is really clear because people don't understand this. Jesus broke down gender barriers. Scripture upholds all people equal in God's eyes. Okay, Jesus broke down those barriers because there are so many faithful women following him. They're referred to as the women because there were so many they couldn't name them. We know some of their names. There is Mary. His mother, Mary Magdalene, uh, the wife of Cleopas, um, Salome. Matthew 27 says there were many women. The ministry patrons provided financial resources and helped provide other things. As this whole group of Jesus and all of his followers, not just the 12, went around. So Jesus broke down gender barriers. If anybody ever says, well, the Bible promotes masculinity over femininity, that's a lie. Okay, that's a complete lie. And notice who else. Let me point out, Mary, the mother of Jesus, gathered for prayer and worship after experiencing a sword-piercing experience of seeing Jesus die on the cross. After that, she is now a joyful witness of the resurrection. Here she is listed. Mary is listed among the women, not above them in the Greek. I, I want you to hear something on this. And notice none of the people are praying to her. 
She is coming praying to God. Mary had other children. I've heard people say, well, she never had any children. That's a lie. Scripture shows she had other children. Contrary to another type of church's belief, there is no evidence of Mary just assuming and going into heaven. This is the last time she is ever mentioned in the Bible. Because she is not a focus. She is not a savior. She is not a helpmate. She has fulfilled her role. And now someone who is much more powerful, much more needed, the Holy Spirit, is coming in. Um, We are never told to pray to her. She's never given any title in Scripture, just a description of which Mary she was. Then it says, notice all of them. They were all united in prayer. They were focused on what they were doing. What is our theme for this year? Destination. I got one man. He was right on it. Brother. The rest of you are like, oh, it's interaction time. They were, these early believers were focused on their destination. They were gathered, devoting themselves to prayer. And in reading through the book of Acts, it becomes clear these followers were able to make such deep, long-lasting spiritual inroads into the world of darkness because they were seeking God. Their destination was, how do I fulfill God's message? How do I fulfill? Go and wait, and then go and tell. As he, Jesus said in the first part of the chapter, They were devoted to God. They were devoted to each other. They were devoted to reaching the lost. They knew their destination. Their destination was to get people out of the pits of hell and onto the road towards heaven. Okay, so why are they in Jerusalem? Jesus told them to wait. Jesus told them to go and wait until they received the gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. That does not mean they went and sat. You know, I've been bored at times in church services like many of you are right now. And and I was drawing, doodling, things like that. I didn't have a cell phone back then. Otherwise, man, I would have really been distracted. We are not called to come to church and sit. The early believers were not called to sit idly. As they waited, as they were waiting, they had a purpose. They were not sitting lazily. Uh, 1 Thessalonians says to pray continually. Romans 12.12 says be constant in prayer. If you are seeking to make decisions, if you need something in your life to know where your destination is, if you are needing any answers for your life, this will not help you find it. Scripture will and God's word as you pray, you seek his will. And when we do that as corporately, guess what happens? We start coming together in unity. And the gates of hell tremble. Let's move on. Verse 15. During this time when about 120 believers were together in one place. Now, real quick, during this time, that doesn't mean it was an hour later. It means days it could be, okay? So during this time, 120 believers were met, were together in one place. That means more than just the 11 disciples and a few of the ladies and his brothers, okay? Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scripture had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. So the early church, they met together. They had community. 
They met together and they were in prayer. But here we see Peter. He stands up. And I love how Peter, who had failed so publicly before, he betrayed Jesus verbally. He even used foul verbal language. He cussed in one of those denyings. And now he quickly stands up. And he doesn't go to his thoughts. He doesn't go to his opinions. He goes to the scripture must be fulfilled. Peter recognizes that the word of God, the written word of God is inspired, containing prophecies that must be fulfilled. This means the early believers stayed in scripture. After meeting together, praying with perseverance, these first followers wanted to remain in God's word. If you just look at those three things, community with other believers, constantly going together in prayer to God, and staying together in Scripture, what is going to cause a church to be strong, healthy, and vibrant in moving the gospel into the world? Those. And it happened right here in the first few verses in the chap- uh, chapter 1 of Acts. Let's put ourselves in in their place for a moment, though. No doubt they're wondering how and why did Judas do this? How could Judas sell out Jesus? He's one of us. He's one of the 12. Do you know God can use mistakes? I want to show you. He can use mistakes. Here I am. And I don't mean that as a joke. I, I was horrible in sinful life. I'm a betrayer of God. And yet he uses me to further his kingdom and his purpose and his love and his message. He can use mistakes. And that's what Peter is trying to say here. He can use what happened. Jesus used it and God used it as He foretold in the Old Testament that one was going to do this. When we are faced with any situation, we need to ask the same question that Peter did. What does the Bible say about this? Man, I messed up in my life. What does the Bible say about this? I'm really trying to figure out this relationship. What does the Bible say about this? I don't know what to do about my job or my community or my... What does the Bible say about this? Not... How do you feel? What are your opinions? Right now, there are so many people spewing their opinions on social media, the media, and Walmart, and everywhere else. Some of those opinions I personally agree with. But here's the problem, okay? Here's the problem. Many of those people are spouting out those opinions and proclaiming them not as opinion, but as truth. They're saying, here's the opinion, and God proves it. What does the Bible say about that? I I don't care how right it sounds. I don't care how vocally they say it. I I don't care what political party you're affiliated with. What does Scripture? That's what every Christian should be saying. When I am up here speaking God's Word, when I am up here speaking, when I am preaching, I will not give you my opinion unless I tell you, hey, this is my opinion. Because if I am doing that, I have just disgraced God's word and his position as a preacher. I have disgraced it, thrown it in the toilet, and really what I'm saying, I know better, follow me. 
If I'm giving you my opinion and saying this is truth, I really want you to worship me, not God. And so when you look at all those opinions that are being spewed out on Facebook, Instagram, and may we, and parlor's gone, so something else now. Check it with Scripture. Well, it sounds good. Well, a lot of people thought Hitler sounded good. I don't care what it sounds like. I don't care with how many likes it gets. What does Scripture say? Make sure when you are watching those videos, reading people's posts, that you check with what they're saying against Scripture, whether you like the opinion or not. Because you're liking the opinion isn't the important thing. God's truth is. We must not accept people's opinions and then seek to find Scripture to support it. We need to seek Scripture and then align our opinions to what God has already said. And I I know I kind of am repeating here, but there's a purpose. There's a reason. I have been getting people send me texts and videos, and I like them. Send them to me. I'll read them or I'll watch them. I enjoy them. But the first thing I need to do after that, check my opinion and my pride back here and pull up in God's Word. What does He say? You know, I, oh, man, I really like this one video I liked, but the way He said it, the hate, the, the spewing verbal language, it wasn't vulgar. It was just hateful and degrading. Oh, I like His opinion, and, but I can't support Him because it's unbiblical. So while I may like it personally, I need to check that and set it aside and actually elevate what God says. Allow Scripture to guide us, not our opinions. All right, let's move on. We're going to go to verse 18. Peter summarizes what uh, Judas did in these verses, and, and this is a little graphic. Judas bought a field with, um, had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all his intestines. The news of his death spread to all the people in Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name Alkadama, which means field of blood. I might have said that wrong. I don't, I don't care. Um, Judas didn't personally purchase this property, okay? I want you to hear this. But the blood money he used did. Here's what it says in Matthew 27. Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. He had regret for what he had done. The leading priest picked up the coins. It wouldn't be right for us to put this in the temple treasury, even though they're the ones who took the money okay, and used it, since it was payment for murder. After some discussion, they finally decided to buy a potter's field, and they made it into a cemetery for foreigners. It's really key. They took this plot of land and gave it to the outcasts, the ones we don't like. That is why it is still uh, called the field of blood. Some people have come to me and said, well, there's contradictions in how Judas died. Some say he hung himself. Some say he flung himself head first and spilled all over. And if anybody ever says the Bible is not graphic, they haven't read it. Okay, because that, that's very graphic. Matthew describes Judas hanging himself. Luke tells us he fell headlong in, here in the book of Acts. And actually, they're complementary, not contradictory. Okay, it's very likely that while hanging, the branch or the rope broke and he fell onto the rocks below, causing that graphic scene. And as I was reading this section, I had to stop and, and I did a little research because um, 
this is the very important thing right here. Are you aware that suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in just America, in the U.S.? Are you aware that over 100 suicides happen every day in just the U.S.? There has been an increase over 33% just since 1999. There are people here grieving from suicide of, of a family or friend member. And so as I was reading this, I thought, you know, I can't gloss over this because it's scripture and it needs said. So perhaps if you know anybody, whether it's you or you know anybody, who is thinking or on that path, I want you to hear these. And I want you to give these truths to anybody who has this. There's hope. Right then they feel like there's not, but there is hope. The Bible always says hope. Hope. It's the last word. There is love. On your worst day, God still loves you more than you can imagine. And there is community. We are here to help. And I want to state this really clear, okay? If you have these feelings, these thoughts, please tell me. I'm not going to sit there and say, you heathen, let me smack you. I'm going to sit down with you. I'm going to share with you my past. And we're going to go to God's Word together and find that hope and that love in community. Don't ever feel like I'm a bad Christian for this. No, let me help you. Because there were people who helped me when I was down. Okay? All right. Um, God never wants us to end our lives prematurely. With the help of God and others, you can get through that, whatever it is you're facing. So, please talk to us. Okay? Me, one of the elders, Dustin, just come talk. Let's go to verse 20 now. Um, Peter continued, this was written in the book of Psalms. He's talking about Judas again, where it says, let his home be desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who are with us the entire time we're traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. In verse 20... Uh, Peter uh, pinpoints two passages from Psalms which show that Judas, his whole actions actually fulfilled what was going to happen. It says, for it is written in the book of Psalms. Real quick, that means Peter is studying scripture. He's not just guessing his opinion or thoughts. He is studying it. Um, he says, let another take his office. Back in John 13, 18, on the night of the Passover, Jesus informed that one of them would betray him. And he quoted Psalm 41.9. Even Jesus is using scriptures. <clears throat> when, um, let me get back to this. The Psalm of David was written after, i got to say this word again. I practiced it and I forgot. Athophel. A-H-I-T-H-O-P-H-E-L. We're going to call him Art. The Psalm of David was written after Art who was David's counselor, betrayed him by joining a rebellion against David and David's son, Absalom. And this is in 2 Samuel. Um, when 
Ark realized the revolt would fail, he went home and hung himself. Both Judas and Ark had trusted positions. Both betrayed their leader. Both men hung themselves. And staying in Scripture, Peter gives them a framework to understand what has happened and what do we do now. The Bible gives both an explanation and then what to do afterward. So again, no matter what circumstance, what does the Bible say about this? How do we move on? During the time of waiting, make sure you stay in Scripture. That's what he's saying here. The plan for making decisions come together, seek God in prayer, and study Scripture. And then Peter lists three important qualifications for a true apostle. One, he must have been from with Christ from the beginning, from when John the Baptist actually baptized him. Two, the apostles must know him. And three, since the resurrection is the heart of the Christian faith, he must be a first-hand witness of Jesus being alive. Christianity is true because the people who saw it said it. They didn't keep it to themselves. It's true facts of history. And so these, there were two men that were nominated who were with Jesus since his baptism until the um, ascension. They're nominated, and then the early believers did something which a lot of people like to skip over. Let's go to verse 24. Then they all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which one of these men you have chosen. It would be really cool if it just stopped there, but it didn't. Who you have chosen as apostle will replace Judas in this ministry, for he's deserted us and gone where he belongs. That went dark. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become the apostle with the other eleven. First, this is the first recorded prayer since the church starts. Okay, They gather together for um, prayer, for community, and studying scripture, and then they pray. It's the first recorded prayer. In this translation, it's 34 verse, uh, words, but notice it's centered on God's sovereignty. God had already chosen one of these men. We don't know who it is, but you have. They wanted to know whom God wanted for the job. It's if they're saying, God, please show us who you want so we know where to go. Imagine if people selected leaders this way, praying first. During the Civil War, President Lincoln was, somebody came and asked him, do you think God is on our side? He said, I don't know. I haven't thought about that, but I'm very anxious to know whether we are on his side. See, it's not about this. It's about him. One pastor that I read, uh, he says, there are really only two prayers in the universe. We can sum it all down to two prayers. My will be done or thy will be done. All prayers fall under that, he said. So these guys take these two names and they pray. I'm sorry, guys, the whole church, all of them that met together. They pray, God, which one have you selected? And then what they did next is surprising. They threw, cast lots, and the lots fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11. The castings of lots is not gambling. So if you've ever heard that, it, it it's not true, okay? Um, gambling's a different topic. The casting of lots was done in the Old Testament to determine God's will in certain situations. First Chronicles 24, casting of lots was meant or used to choosing temple servants. In Joshua 14, lots were used to determine lots of lands that were given out. 
Leviticus chapter 16, they cast lots on the Day of Atonement to determine which goat was going to be um, set free in the wilderness. In the New Testament, you can read in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah was chosen by lots to enter the temple of the Lord. Uh, you can read the Roman soldiers cast lots to determine who was going to get the clothing of Jesus. Now, here's what this really means, okay? It's likely the names of Joseph and Matthias were written on small rocks or pieces of wood or something, put in a jar, sh shaken, and this is where people think it's like gambling, and then they tip it over, and the first one that popped out was casting lots. That's one of the ways they did it. Um, so I was thinking of this as I was reading to make sure I knew. So they, they shake up the jar, and, and Matthias comes out, and I just wondered, did, did Joseph say, I want to recount I'm sorry, I just had to do that. And then secondly, Matthias is like, um, hey, I get to replace Judas Iscariot. I can beat his job performance. Right? That's, hey, easy job here. Okay, I, that was my attempt at humor again. Matthew 19, 28, Jesus said, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The apostles are going to sit on 12 thrones. And because Judas betrayed Jesus, and as Peter said, he is where he belongs, not where we want him to be. The failure of Judas has created a vacuum, and so they want to make sure it's filled. And as I start thinking of this, this really made me puzzle here. For more than three years, two names popped up, and these two names, Matthias, witnessed it all. He was there at Jesus' baptism. We didn't read about that, did we? But he had to be there to fulfill these obligations and these requirements for the job of apostle, he had to be there from the point of baptism, and he was there through all the healings, through all the miracles. Matthias witnessed it all in obscurity. Before the death of Judas, the Bible never mentions Matthias's name, and yet he was there through it all. Since the John the Baptist announced, here is the Messiah, the one who I'm unfit to even tie his sandals, Matthias was in the crowd. He walked in Jesus' footsteps in the Jordan River to, to the town of Galilee. Matthias had followed the Savior with passion. He saw people being fed at the feeding of the 5,000. He saw people being healed. He was there at all of it without any recognition. He was busy laboring as a disciple, even though nobody celebrated him. Matthias was willing to be the unknown for the sake of the gospel, and then it all changed. He is mentioned twice, verse 24 and verse 26, and then he fades off into obscurity again. He emerges for a moment and then vanishes to become anonymous. How many of you have heard of the Apostle Peter? Four people, come on. How many of you heard of the Apostle Peter? I had mentioned him several times, so everybody's hand should have gone up. Or um, Thomas, Doubting Thomas, we've all heard of him. How many of you have heard a sermon on Matthias? How do you spell that? We, we don't even know him. Hardly anybody knows him. But yet he was one of the first ones 
at the baptism, and he was with Jesus until the day of ascension. He was here for all of it. He was unknown. And I want, that made me ask this question. Do you ever feel like Matthias? Do you ever feel like you are showing up, you are trying to do the work, you are serving in him, you are doing all these things, and yet nobody ever notices? Oh, yeah, the loudmouth up on stage, he gets recognized, but the person who's actually doing the job, that wasn't funny. Do you ever feel like Matthias? Have you ever served in obscurity? You may feel like you labor in the kingdom of God and it's not recognized. You show up every day faithfully contributing your part, but no one notices. But where is Matthias now? Or where will he be at the end of time in history here? He's going to be sitting on a throne of one of the twelve. I don't know what all he did. God does. I don't know what he said, how he led. I don't know these things. There are theories and legends about what he did. I don't know any of those. But God does. And all this point here, coming together in unity, meeting together, coming together for prayer, coming together in um, studying scripture. All of that comes together, and it's not for my personal benefit. It's for God's glory, and whether I get recognition or not, it doesn't matter. God knows. So if you ever felt like Matthias, God sees you. Every disciple of Christ is well-known in heaven. Even if no one sees your faithfulness here, God is watching, and I really want you to know that. You may not ever be recognized by people in the building. You're not doing it for us. I don't get recognized for everything. That's okay. A lot of them are mess ups. But God knows. He's watching. And so I really want to challenge. There are a whole lot more Matthiases in the church than there are Peters. And we can't be the church we need to be on destination without all of us coming together, praying, seeking scripture, and doing the parts that God has called us to be. That's what the early church believers did. They had community, they prayed together, they studied scripture. That is part of our destination for even this year at this church. That we come together in these three areas, that we go on the same destination that the early believers did. Because they didn't just sit in that upper room and do nothing. They took what they were being taught by scripture. They took what they learned through prayer and they went and changed the world. And if we do that, we can have the same thing. Um, just like Peter or Matthias, some are going to have more credit or more public persuasion or whatever from others. But Matthias was mentioned in scripture. And take that and put it in the heavenly realm. Don't you want God to mention your name in heaven? When you walk up to that gate after your death here on this planet, don't you want God to say, that one's mine, let him in? Whether you are very public, whether you are very affluent, whether you are on stage or not, don't you want God to say, I know that one? You know how we do that? We start coming together, we pray to God, we see what he says in scripture, and then we go live that, whether we get the credit or not, we do it for his glory. It's part of our destination for this year. Are you ready to do that? Every week that I 
I've been saying for several weeks that if you need prayer, we're going to meet over in the cafe. We're going to change that starting today. We're going to meet in the back room. A little more private. That way you can feel like you can talk. So if you ever need to pray with one of us, you want to come and ask, talk to one of the elders. We'll go in that room. We can sit. We can pray. We can see what God's scripture says because we're coming together. We're praying and seeing his word. And know that there is hope, there is love, and there is acceptance. Not just in that room, but in God's heaven, in his family, which is right here. If you need to make a decision, let's let's meet. Right now, let's go back to the throne room and thank him for accepting us as we are. And using each one of us, whether we are a Peter or a Matthias. Now let's go praise him for what he can do with us. Let's stand. Let's worship our God.